Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash Radio. And uh, Phil, today was supposed to be the day of yet another government shutdown. And uh, lo and behold, there might be a deal. There might be Kumbaya in Washington. Yeah, news came out uh, late yesterday that there may be a two-year deal in the works. Uh, I think, you know, the devil is always in the details. I know we've been hearing bits and pieces. You've been hearing sort of both sides of the extremes and the parties sort of posturing. Um, but that's exciting news. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about this. We touched on this last week. Is that I think pragmatism in Congress is starting to win out. Um, you don't say. Look, it's about time, right? It's really about time and that we better, it, it's easier and smarter to make a deal. We don't both get what we want. We don't get everything that we want, I should say, but that we're going to make a deal that's going to send a message to the American people that government is functioning, we're working, we're able to accomplish something when we sit together and figure it out. And so the the talk now is of a two-year deal. Um, again, I think over the course of today, we're going to sort of see what's in it and what's not in it. But there's still pledges from those on the far right and those on the far left to not support it, not allow a vote to come to the floor, not allow things to move forward. And, I, you know, you have you know what my thoughts on the president are. I think I've shared them maybe once or twice, right? But this is, you know, we've got to stop posturing. I mean, we have re reached a point now where stop trying to get up and make a speech for the sake of making a speech to send a message, Right. Let's actually find a way to get things done. And I don't believe, look, I'm, I'm a firm believer, and I said this, as a legislator in New York, you were, never, you were never done. There was never somebody you couldn't approach. There was never someone who has such different ideological views that you couldn't have a conversation with them about something you agreed upon or ways in which you could find ways to agree. And so I think, look, and I haven't seen all the details of the deal that's been worked out, but I'm actually reassured that we have a deal which means that Democrats and Republicans talk to each other. They didn't let tweets or any sort of silliness get in the way of that. And I'm excited to see how things play out. Well, there hasn't been that much tweeting this week. I mean, I think the president's biggest uh, thing of the week was saying he wants a shutdown. And that seemed to have energized many in Congress who saw the political downside of a shutdown to avoid it. I mean, uh, perhaps, perhaps there, there, that was, you know, to me, that's what I saw politically. Think about what you just said, right? Not only did we ignore the tweet, right? Not only was it generally ignored. I well, think, wasn't it wasn't a tweet. He actually said, well, it, you know, he, he, right, said during a meeting. Not only was, there. was it ignored, but it actually was a catalyst for the opposite. It's like, look, we're not going to let that sort of fringe message stand in the way of well, progress. Well, one never know. I mean, it just doesn't seem to make any sense uh, unless, I mean, I think the president feels that he won politically the last shutdown, and therefore shutdowns make him feel good. I, we'll, we'll leave it aside. I, I don't. I don't even know. I can't. Figure, there is so much on a daily basis coming out of this White House. I mean, between the memos. I mean, I, we, we have to address it for a second. And the the Nunez memo, uh, eagerly anticipated, widely. I mean, it just that was supposed to be it. That was going to be the thing, the game changer in Washington. I mean, not a lot in there. No, there's no news. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would certainly, if entirely context, if it's all true, I would probably be a little nervous. I don't think it's great to be spying on American citizens, even to get warrants to spy on American citizens, etc. But 
I don't know. I mean, the, the word nothing burger. Comes I was to, nothing I, burger I comes not, to I mind. Was waiting for nothing burger. Uh, okay, it didn't, it I, didn't come out. This I didn't week. mean to steal that. Go uh, ahead. Oh, please no, go ahead. No, look, I was so excited because it was. If like, you live by the nothing burger, you got to die by the nothing burger. It was a nothing burger. I mean, and there was really not much there. And I'm not even going to get into the sort of the background of did you read the underlying materials? Are we understanding the underlying materials? Before well, obviously, we neither of us read the underlying materials. Right, of or, course not. But the, the point is, like, there's there was much more than just release or not release, or is it is it right to release or not right i mean there's there, this was a, a complicated a complicated debate but it all said and done memo was released and life goes on the you know the the investigations go on life goes on the world didn't come to an end it didn't prove anything on either side there was really nothing there and then and, and i can't tell you whether this is the right or wrong but you know oh well the republicans have a memo then adam schiff and the democrats must you know better come up with a memo their memo is five pages long we better do a memo that's longer. Our memo is 12. It's like, I didn't want to see the first memo. I don't want to see the second memo. I think this is just sort of a huge waste of time and a distraction. Well, it is not vindicating anybody. It is not justifying well, I agree with that. anything. Not, not vindicating anybody, not justifying anything. I don't have a problem with more transparency. I don't have a problem with across the board. I'm sure that government can overreach, and I, and I think we should be sensitive to that. Uh, but the way the pieces on the board have turned that with you have the Republicans essentially being anti-law enforcement, anti-surveillance, anti—now, there is a libertarian streak in the Republican Party, but it used to be just Rand Paul out there saying, don't—you can't wiretap. Uh, most Republicans seem to be always on the side of law enforcement to go ahead, and the Democrats were the other way, and now you have just— the tables totally turned. Republicans openly attacking the FBI, openly attacking the national security apparatus, and you have Democrats, you know, rushing. They can't falling over themselves to go ahead and talk about it. It's just, it's quite. I will tell you this: President Trump came to Washington, said he was going to turn over the apple cart. Maybe not in those words, but he certainly said he was going to be disruptive, and he is being disruptive in every which way possible. So. As far as that being accomplishment, he is doing it, and he is scrambling political calculus all over the place. I, I'm pretty sure it was it was it came out and sort of. I know that right after the election, a lot of the prognosticators, a lot of the pundits, all talked about the second Comey letter, post Huma Abedin, Anthony Weiner scandal, new emails, and there was a lot of talk about how that was uh, that was maybe. A part of the reason that propelled Trump to the last minute victory. I mean, I think we, you know, sort of after the Access Hollywood tape, I think that was sort of everybody thought, you know, the election was going towards Hillary Clinton and then post the Comey letter. And so at the time, most, I think, I think most agreed that it was Comey and the FBI that maybe handed the White House to Donald Trump and to the Republican Party. So much so that when Comey was questioned in front of Congress, you know, I think it was an oh golly, oh gee, like, I hope it was, like, I hope I, I had nothing to do with that. It was generally accepted that the FBI influenced the election. On, not on, I don't believe on purpose, because I think, I don't, no, but, I don't, I but think certainly, it's just sort of the way but things But certainly happen. not in Hillary Clinton's favor. <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, I don't think, there's nobody who's going to deny that, but, but that's exactly the point. Nobody, not even the president, after the election was saying that in some way, shape, or form, the FBI helped Hillary Clinton. Now, right, whether for whatever reason, whether it's to defer attention or to somehow find vindication, you know, we're finding new partisan ways to go after the investigation, to go after the FBI. 
I, I, you know, from the point of, I think from, you know, look, as a previous elected official, you hear this a lot. Recovering, I think they say. Recovering elected official. Yes. Uh, reform. The idea is let the investigation play itself out. Don't insert yourself into it. Don't make investigation any more news. Let it, let the investigate. If you're innocent, right? Every person, every elected official after they're, they're indicted on something here or there. Once the evidence comes out, I will be vindicated. Well, you know, so look, let the evidence come out. Look, nobody's saying we're not going to play politics here, and you got to influence the outcome, no matter what it is. What do you think it's going to be? And so you have to look. There's no if you're a political person and you're gonna you you have to go ahead and massage the public and make them get them prepared and discrediting the investigation before it comes out. I mean, look at you look at the polling on Rob, on Robert Mueller, who was a man, I mean, just impeccable reputation until this came along. I think it's like 32% find him honest and trustworthy. Maybe it's 30%. I mean, it's basically... Right now, now, I happen to discount that because I don't know if you go on the street and said to people, who's Bob Mueller? They would have any idea who you're talking about. I mean, I, to me, it's like this is... this. I, yes, they know the Russia investigation. They know the fact that there's they, they might have heard something about it. But I don't think the average person in the public is following this type of stuff to the extent that we are and insiders are. And, you know, they would know the incredible public service record of a guy like Bob Mueller, you know, a uh, uh, war hero and uh, FBI director and uh, just other accolades that he's had over the years. Just one of those you know, real... Uh, stand-up public servants, but you have you see to the extent to which it's been somewhat discredited. And as always, Phil, if you can't kill the message, you kill the messenger, right? I mean, is that not uh, an old adage from the uh, from everybody's playbook on both sides of the aisle? Yeah, look, I, it's hard for me to disagree. However, I mean, we're talking we're not talking about you and me and and, and some disagreement we're having in the street. We're talking about the president of the United States and. And the, the the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Right. And that's, this this high stakes here. But you know, look, this all goes. We we sort of went off on this tangent. We seem to do that a lot. This, you know, it comes down to this memo. I, I don't, I, I don't believe it should have been released. I don't think it should have been written. And if it was written and it was meant to be internal, then leave it internal. And so I don't think it. You know, I'm as much for transparency as as anybody else. But I mean, we're talking about the most secretive committee in Congress, right? For a reason, right? That's the idea of, of, of having these this kind of intelligence and play this kind out of information public, and have it play out in public is just unprecedented and it, it shouldn't happen. And so, yes, there is a time for transparency um, and there's a time for, you know, for behind closed doors sort of investigative analysis, which Congress is meant to do behind closed doors. OK, so, Phil, should the president testify or give up? Yes. Should he get testify? Should he allow himself to be questioned in person? By the special counsel, you're asking me as a sort of whether no, I'm as asking you as your or as your opinion. I'm saying, I mean, Joe Biden says that you know, prominent Democrat says he absolutely should not. I truthfully think if I were him, I would be telling him not. I would tell him. I mean, I would. That's where I was. I would tell him absolutely don't. Right. I mean, this is this is a president that is sort of a bit all over the map. Right. And so I think if I'm his attorneys or his counsel, I would say, you know, maybe we don't want you out there sort of loose and just telling them how you feel or what your 
you know, your thought on what happened or what took place or your version of, of the truth. But is the potential political fallout too big to not testify, to look like you're hiding something? No. I mean, you know, no. this is what's interesting. Okay. For any other president, that could have spelled the end of the presidency and the end of the, the thought of a second term. With this one, I think you and I both agree that, you know, within nothing a couple ha- days. Nothing works. Whatever happens. What if, if he, what if he, he would takes, all be gone? What if he takes the fifth? What if he's I think forced he's to, better off. I think he's better off not going. I would no, say well, no. Say, I'm sorry they, about they what. Him, they what him. if they compel him to testify? I mean, look, they got Clinton. They went to court. They got President Clinton to go ahead and testify. He perjured himself. And, uh, uh, but what if he goes in there and just takes the fifth? Yeah. I, Does I he have the politi- same political damage that we're talking about by refusing to testify? I, th- I agree with you. I think he can get past it. No, I, I, think, I don't think if, even if he. You think even not, if he takes I don't know. I don't think he can get past taking the fifth. Personally, I think you got you. It, then you got to. Michael, come. where have you been for the last year? Uh, he can. I mean, he has proven his ability to get past nearly everything that you and I, by the way, would have sank four hundred other people, and he has found a way to get past it. So, I, if I'm him, I tell him not to do it. Right, and this is me from trying to be objective. I would tell him not to do it, and I think that if he has is compelled to do it, and he's he's forced to take the fifth. I think he gets past that, and not only does he get past it come three years, do come re-election if he chooses to run for re-election, I think he's past it and we're on to the next thing. You, me, and the entire country is on to the next thing in less than a week's time. Um, that would be my thought. And, and again, and, and take a look at current news. You know, another day, another White House exit from a, a top senior aide. Yes, we have to we have to get into that. I right, mean, you talk Rob Porter, who who, again, I guess in everybody else's absence, has sort of been the person on the rise trying to fill some of those gaps. And once again, another senior aide, you know, shamelessly sort of in shame, walking out of the White House. And the question I think would would continues to arise, well, oh, well, is this the exit that's going to bring this president down or give him that negative story that's going to finally force him to, like, change? The answer is no. Another White House exit, another top aide gone. Nothing will change in the White House. It's... And I've said this before, and I'll continue. I, I, it's unbelievable when you think about it that the businessman president, the first now, and there are reasons for this. I think it's it's they may have miscalculated as far as what was needed, as far as staffing, et cetera. But if you look at the exits, essentially one year in of people, I, I, I just think it's worthwhile to just run through them of of exits of top top people now of course donald trump didn't have years of apparatus of of loyal political staff members who who are with him and that's generally the case with people who run for president okay so that's fair enough but if you think about it okay former national security advisor mike flynn obviously out we know what's going on with him okay katie walsh deputy chief of staff he fired james comey who was the fbi director white house communications director mike dubke uh, director of Government Ethics, Walter Schaub. Sean Spicer, the Communications Director, also the Press Secretary at one point. Okay, Michael Short, who was also Assistant Press Secretary. Angela Reid was the Chief Usher, okay, of the right, Ranch Priebus, Chief of Staff. Communications Director, Anthony Scaramucci. The Mooch. The Mooch, who, have, incidentally, I get an invitation. He's the guest of honor at the National Council of Young Israel, 
dinner coming up. Well, we're gonna have to get to that in a little bit. That, that, that's like an end note. I, I don't understand. I don't have any idea what's going on with the the Scaramucci's love affair with the Jewish community. It's quite remarkable. He's going to the RJC conference this weekend. Uh, that's that's you know that's quite incredible. Okay, but but you'll be that uh, senior director for intelligence and national security, Ezra Cohen Watnick. Um, Steve Bannon, Chief Strategist, Sebastian Gorka, Deputy Assistant, Tom Price, the HHS Secretary, Dina Powell, Deputy National Security Advisor, and Omarosa. Who needs to be said anything more than that? And now Rob Porter, who, I mean, it's impossible to know. I mean, he's being forced out. He's resigning because he was apparently, I mean, there are legal allegations about him having beaten not one but two ex-wives and potentially a girlfriend. These apparently came up in his applications, his security check. How that happens and then is not that you let somebody, uh, either a staff secretary is actually, as far as document-wise, the most important person in the White House. Controls all the document flow and all the information flow to the president. Everything the president sees, sees is prepared by the staff secretary. So you have a, somebody who couldn't actually get a full security clearance because he had legal title, he had order protection. I know the story is still developing, but... It seems now they're saying, well, we're shocked. We, General Kelly, the chief of staff, says, well, I had no idea. How's that possible? You got to do a background check. Sorry right. for raising my voice here, but it's, no. not, it's not possible. But look at this staff turnover. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. You've never seen anything like this. Can you imagine if you were running a company and you had basically over the, the – if you're running the Trump organization – Okay, even a small company, a small uh, you know holding company, and you were firing and re- and cycling out your top people in such a short amount of time. Yeah, look, I agree, and and, it, and going to the point I made is that in any other situation with any other politician with any other company, um, on 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 any on, in any other in any other walk of life, this would be the downfall of that leader, whether it was a CEO or a congressman or an assemblyman or a governor. This would be the downfall. I think you and I both agree. And tell me if you don't. I think by tomorrow, you and I will be talking about something else. Come next week, we'll find something else to talk about. Well, we'll have it to talk will, about something else because will there will not be, be this. And there will be will so on. much. I mean, we we be talking. I mean, you say you talk about a military parade. Right, I mean that's that's you know that comes out. You have bad news, and let's just throw something outlandish out there, like having a military parade, which is uh, which would be quite unusual because North Korea had one yesterday, so therefore the United States has to have one today. Um, I know it's absurd to think about, but when you that to me is is an indication of why the president is underperforming. As far as I, you know, people ask me, they say, "Oh, you anti-Trump? You're anti?" I'm not not again. I want the president to succeed. I want the country to succeed. I want the government to succeed. I want a lot of the wholesale changes that Trump, that the president is for. But I don't understand to me, I, from my point of view, I don't understand why he is underperforming in so many ways. I mean, I see that he is underperforming. I see the lack of discipline. I see the staff turnover. I see the fact that it's happening. I wish it wasn't happening. And to me, that's the big issue. I wish that they were actually doing a better job. I, I agree. Um, and I think, you know, 20 minutes into a show that we promised that we wouldn't get into this. Uh, let's, we're, not, we're not getting into it. We're going <laughs> to switch topics in a second. Let, let's talk. No, I, I think it's important. Like, you know, let's talk about the impact of the presidency on, on what I think is going to come in, in the soon-to-be elections. I mean, we talked about this since the beginning of last year. You and I said, hey, wait, 
you know, let's not look at all these different specials as bellwether districts, you know, not even the, the Doug Joneses of the world. Let's Well, there's a big one coming up March 13th. We're going to have to be looking at that in Pennsyl- Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, I I would still sort of say Republicans that if, are petrified, apparently. Well, they should be. I mean, take yeah. a look at, again, see, district you know, just, that, uh, a district that Trump won by 20 points. Post-Virginia, post-New Jersey, post-Alabama, Alabama. Alabama I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary to talk about special elections. However, very soon, come June, you're going to have primaries in both parties, and very, very soon, you're going to have a general election. Come November, November is right around the corner, and we're going to know. We're going to see how congressional districts that maybe went pro-Trump are now going to flip the other way, or those that were sort of walking the line who are now going to flip, you know, one way or another. We're really going to have a good feel for where the country is, you know. It's easy for us to look to point at polls and say 30%. And then after the State of the Union, there was a Rasmussen poll that showed the president up to 50%. And, and then there's another poll, I think, that came out yesterday that showed him back at 39 or 41%. I think the congressional elections will be the biggest tell of where people, what people think about the state of the country, right? Outside of just what do you think about one person or his views or his philosophies or his way of governing. When you're, when you're electing your member of Congress or when people are going out to elect a member of Congress, I think you're doing a, a deeper dive into where the, what the country is feeling and will give us, as sort of political insiders, a real sense of, of how things have gone over the last two years and where we think things are going. You know, I'm going to throw this one right at you, and I apologize in advance. Please. Arthur Jones, Arthur Jones of, of, of yeah. Illinois is the Republican candidate for Congress. Hey, look, anybody can run if they want to run. I mean, let's be honest here. Uncontested Republican there, candidate. There is no chance this guy will win. There's a, when, when Republican is has no chance of winning this seat altogether. So, the, I mean, look, the Republican candidate. I mean, you watch this guy on TV or you watch this guy in video. He's clearly a lunatic. Yeah, just I uh, mean, for, I, for I, our listeners, Arthur a, Jones is It's a, a little bit upsetting that you would even give him a platform. I was Arthur actually jo- kind of surprised. Arthur was, Jones is a Nazi. I woke up this I mean, Or a he, former Nazi. He literally is. He was, I mean, he, he's run for office before. He's he, run for every office. For every office saying. before. He's never won. And he's he's clearly certifiable. Holocaust denier. But he uh, feels emboldened. I, I will say this. And I, this I, is what I think is fascinating. I don't, I don't disagree, but look, there's a lot of offices you could run for. for you, you get yourself on the ballot, you collect enough signatures or whatever, whatever the, or you pay a filing fee, depending on the state, and you're on the ballot. That's it. You know, you can, anybody, a lot of people could do that. I tell this story. I tell this story a lot. When I was, uh, when I was in the assembly, uh, we used to do rallies. Every now and again, we would do rallies outside of City Hall in support of Israel. And, you know, I remember doing these, I remember doing it as a staff member 10, 12 years ago, and you would do, you would go and there'd always be about a hundred people in a small little press conference talking about how it's important for New York and America to support Israel. Um, and there was always a counter protest, always. Right. And it was, that was fine. It was kind of expected. People have the right to share their views. Counter protest was usually small, a couple of dozen people, you know, they had some signs and, and maybe they were, they were chanting something, but generally, you know, in order. I did a similar one of these my, my last few months in office. Um, I did one a similar one of these my, sometime my last year in office. And the counter protest was probably twice the size, but that's okay too. I don't have an issue with that, right? For some reason, those, and in this situation, it was those on the left who were against Israel, who thought that Israel mistreats the Palestinians and the Palestinians were being you know slaughtered all over, all over the country. They weren't only sort of larger in numbers and louder, because again, that is something I expected. They were emboldened, right? They were free on the streets of New York City as I was walking out to tell me that, you know, 
we wish Hitler would have finished the job or, you know, we should have killed more of your ancestors, screaming this on the streets of New York City. They were emboldened. They didn't mind saying it. They didn't have, they weren't fearful of saying it. Now, again, uh, in, in, and again, I'm, I'm as, as the Democrats, this was people on the left, right? There's people on the far left who were saying things like that to me, emboldened to on the streets of New York City to say things like that. And now you're finding people on the far right, right? And it, it goes on both sides. I'm not demonizing any one side. Right, they, they definitely have that commonality. Of they're being emboldened. Israel. They're emboldened to say these things on on national television, right? On CNN, I'm not afraid to say. Why is CNN giving them a platform? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, that, I, I mean, to me, is that, what do you, you mean? The guys are, don't give them credibility. The guys are crackpot. They're looking at like, oh, we'll get ratings. I'm it's guy totally, like it's totally ratings. We'll throw it on YouTube. We'll, we'll, we'll prove a point or whatever. It's there's nothing. They don't have it. They don't add anything to the debate. We we got to talk. I, I I look. I I don't disagree. We should we should you know at a later time talk about anti-Semitism and how it's you know where you know and how it's going but we got to talk about the trial in Albany going on right now Joe Prococo the man described as the third Cuomo brother uh as meaning a brother to the governor the current governor uh Andrew Cuomo his closest aide his enforcer is on trial for bribery and it's been quite sensational I mean the things uh that were go- are going on and you know emails I mean just actual outright I don't know, Phil. I mean, you know Albany a little bit better than me. And uh, is this really going on? It's disappointing. Look, it's it's just. I mean, the the degree, the brazenness of it. A, you don't have to look, you know, too far, you know, sort of past this trial. I mean, the guy says, I, I, I set it up. He said, I needed money. Told the lobbyist he needed money, and the lobbyist got a job for his wife, and essentially, you know, fed him bribery. It's unfortunate, you know. And again, like I said, you don't have to look too far past this trial or pre before this trial to see corruption and other trials, right? I mean, it's person, it's it's elected official after elected official who have left Albany in handcuffs. So, I I want. I spent a lot of time in Albany, and I, I want to say that most of my colleagues are hardworking, dedicated elected officials who are there to serve the public good. Unfortunately, in public service, it's the misdeeds of a few that ultimately become the characterization for the entire body and for the entire profession. I've said this before. You know what upsets me more than, than almost anything is that when people say all politicians are liars. I, I mean, there is nothing that frustrates me more because... Nothing could be farther from the truth. Most politicians are hardworking, um, dedicated and dedicated public servants who care about the needs of their constituents. And so, look, this trial is going to go on. You know, Joe Prococo was a good friend. It's somebody who I worked with, you know, day in and day out in Albany as an assemblyman. And, and he was sort of, um, you know, sort of leading uh, parts of, of the governor's staff. And so he was somebody I worked with. And I'm, I'm disappointed. I mean, I'm, how does this I'm really not, disappointed. How does this not tarnish the governor? I don't. I don't see how the governor gets away from this. I know he's trying. He's trying very, very hard. Um, the governor is, is. I think he's doing a good job, actually, of of trying. But but that, I, how does it not tarnish? I mean, that you can't deny that Joe Prococo was part of the inner circle or the innermost inner circle. I mean, you talk about Department of Bad Timing. I mean, the governor literally is up for re-election this year. The trial will likely go on for a little bit with deliberations, probably over the next couple of months. As Sort of the, well, there's going to be more than one trial. There's going to be there are other people in the correct. same scandal who are going to be on right. And so I think the governor look the 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 best the, the best thing the governor has going for him is that there's nobody running against him. We talked about this for a moment last week. There's nobody running against him in the Democratic primary. Um, the likes of those like Zephyr Teachout, who sort of came after him last time, you haven't seen any of those candidates bubbling from the left. So I, I'm not convinced there's going to be a Democratic primary. And the Republican challengers thus far have been very underwhelming. And I, I, I would leave that to you to, to sort of give us a, a feel, but they've been very, very underwhelming. And so I think 
much like the mayor's race, right? I think this governor is going to run um, essentially unopposed. And so, look, he's doing what he should be doing, which is trying to avoid the scandal and, and talk about and talk and, and try and change the subject. Well, I guess the difference here is that the governor himself is not being implicated with regard to his trials, not a witness, et cetera, um, as opposed to the mayor being directly named in, in some of this corruption trials that are actually had happened and are going on. I mean, Mayor Blasio was actually, they had witnesses under oath saying that they bribed him. And so yet, that, and, that, that's and, not the case and yet, here. And well, uh, and well no. forget that. I'm not drawing that comparison. What I'm saying is, and yet, he won the election. with that, he not only did he win re-election, he essentially won unopposed, all due respect to my co- my old colleague and former colleague, Nicole Maliotakis, but Bill de Blasio won an election, so he walked back into office. I I would think that, that Governor Cuomo is going to stand on his record of, of what he's accomplished, and he's going to try and change the subject off of the corruption trial. And I think he's going to win re-election in, in a landslide. And I, I again, I feel bad for Joe. I, I wish him the best, but I look, it's unfortunate. Let's see what happens. I mean, innocent until proven guilty. The, but we'll, the, the, the public trust. Agreed, agreed. So uh, there is going to be a special election coming up, or actually quite a few on April 24th, as far as the most watched one in... New York State is now going to be a battle for a Senate seat in Westchester County. Uh, your old colleague, Shelley Mayer. Not a battle. Shelley's going to win that seat uh, running away. Against Julie Killian. Yep. Uh, I know a lot of Democrats think that. If you look at the numbers uh, as far as the last couple elections, uh, not by no means a sure thing for the Democrats. Um, and uh, George Latimer only won. I'm sorry, uh, Latimer did not win the seat by a lot last time around. He actually, in the county executive race, only won the district 52-48. Shelley Mayer is is an impeccable public servant. I mean, she she has a, a record of accomplishment. And I again, I got to serve alongside her. It just As a matter of fact, I sat literally in front of her on the assembly floor. And, and she... Well, she'll probably put that in her ads. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, but she you, to see the line of people that would come to her for guidance, for advice, for, for ideas. I mean, she was... She was sort of like, uh, like, like the, I want to say the like the, the, the great older sister uh, that was that was always sort of providing advice for colleagues like me who were young and up and comers and trying to sort of make a name and and do good work in, in government. And she was that person who was essentially was a newcomer herself to elected office. However, almost wow. immediately she'd been Albany Insider for a very long time. Yeah, but almost immediately and became like an advisor to, to nearly everybody in the chamber. Right. I mean, you know, look, I, I have to say to me, it's a race to watch Shelley Mayer was definitely identified with some very significant Albany misdeeds by uh, uh, two successive Senate leaders who went to uh, jail, uh, John Sampson and uh, Malcolm Smith. And uh, look, we'll see. Anything's possible. We'll probably uh, hopefully highlight the race a little bit as going on. And lo and behold, we are out of time uh, this week, Phil. So uh, we'll get to the mooch maybe next week as far as him, be, him being the new darling of the uh, of the Jewish uh dinner circuit i hope i hope we don't I, okay i hope, I hope we, we don't, don't talk about it i just think it's quite remarkable that i, I look at get an invitation young israel national council of young israel dinner and the guest of honor is anthony scaramucci the a guy, man with a long record of service to the jewish community and and the young israel movement obviously of course so yeah, and served a, a long strong 10 days in, in, in government. 11 days he would say 11 days. 11 days okay that's it for us here this week uh here on spin class here on the nachem Siegel network stay tuned for jew in the city speaks with allison josephs